coming up tonight on the Big Footy Podcast, we talk all about Alistair Clarkson and his comments about coaching accreditation. We talk about the winners and losers from the worst week of the NAB Challenge. And we talk about equalisation and the AFL's plans for that. All that and more coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an all-new Big Footy podcast. Joining me tonight are uh, some of the guys you would have heard last year. We've got Cookson. Good evening. Good evening, all, or whatever time of day it is, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> Mike is back from last week. Hello, hello. I hope we're all ready for another week of podcast footy. And other guys. SM is here from uh, the Swans board. One of the other guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> And Western Roy Boys joins us again. Good evening, yeah. guys. All right, so let's get into the uh, NAB Challenge. Then there's been a few. Uh, I mean, given it's the preseason and everything, you take it with a grain of salt, obviously. But there's been a few surprising results. Perhaps yesterday, uh, the Eagles flogged the Dockers, um, who made the grand final last year. Uh, the Eagles finishing somewhat lower uh, in a game at Jundala. How do you guys? Uh, any of you guys see that? Saw some of the uh, highlights of the game, but I think you've got to take a little bit away from the, this particular uh, pre-season with the change in the cap for rotations. I think I wouldn't really worry too much about the scores. I, I'd, really, I'd be really concerned or looking rather at how the teams handle the, the rotation gap. And there's obviously going to be some teething issues there and, uh, and fine-tuning that, which I don't know if they're going to be able to do that in two games. But um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting, definitely interesting. I was um, super impressed with how West Coast moved the ball. Um, and given that this time last year, if you went through all of the so-called experts, I reckon there was a fair portion that were tipping West Coast for the flag. Now, for whatever reason, they didn't get, make the finals. Um, if you were a, a freshman coach coming in, the, the place you'd want to be would be West Coast. And, and if they don't make the finals this year, I'd be very, very surprised. Okay. Uh, well, the I've, other, Pat, sorry, you were saying Cookson? Well, I probably well I was watched. I watched Adelaide four one much more since this. Well, Dangerfield. I mean, I'm probably going well gone call if I'm backing him for the Brownlow this year. I mean, he just seems very dynamic in how he plays. So early call, but going for it. Well, that was the other thing. Adelaide beat Port by 10 goals. Port making the finals last year, making the second week of the finals last year. Adelaide not making the finals at all. Um, and, yeah, yes, uh, well, on the weekend, it was a 10-goal win at Richmond Oval. Did anyone yeah. else see that game? Yeah. Kenny from Camperdown, uh, yes. my former coach, he, he came out before and after and said, we are going to, a bit like Brisbane, but not to that extent, we are going to play a very inexperienced side because they've planned out their pre-season and this was the only week that they could get um, the new bikes in. So I wouldn't read a lot into that game um, and I can guarantee you that they are building for Showdown 1 at Adelaide Oval where they're hosting, um, where they play Adelaide again, obviously, and yeah, I wouldn't read anything into Port Adelaide's performance. Yeah. Anyone else see the game? No? Some bits and pieces. Yeah. <laughs> I think both clubs are really focusing on uh, 
the grudge on, match. On, on round two when they play at Adelaide Oval, and that is going to be huge. I mean, I live in Adelaide. I live 150 metres from the Oval, and it is going to be massive. Like, just everything that's going to pass. We talked a bit about it last week with the, the whole jumper shenanigans and... Uh, Adelaide bringing it has been running history articles on Adelaide Oval and, th- and and the original Adelaide Football Club, which has nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, they've been running that on their website for the last couple of weeks. Um, Port haven't really done anything like that at all. They're just pretty much going, look, we're here. We were always here. It's going to be a very big uh, round two game. I think it's probably going to be the match of the round for round two, even though I say that knowing that Carlton play Richmond in round two and uh, I think Geelong play Hawthorne in round two. I think Port v Adelaide is going to be the one to watch. Oh, back no, to GWS. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> game that. Wookie, will you go to Adelaide Oval to watch um, uh, games that don't involve Carlton? Because you're so close, we just wander down and have a look. I probably will. Um, but... It, it really depends on my work hours and things like that. Yeah, sure. But uh, as, as it is, it is the kind of place. Like, it's a great ground. It is a great place to go. I went down there during the cricket, um, and it was only half done. It is going to be an awesome place to watch the footy. It is literally, I can walk straight out my door, turn left, and walk straight into Adelaide Oval, through the main gate. Straight, ac- there's a bridge that goes right across the river. <laughs> like, lucky. At, like it literally, the footpath goes. Down, over North Terrace, past the casino, over the river, into Adelaide Oval. It's it's literally a two-minute walk. <laughs> and that's the beauty of um, the MCG. Like, you'd finish work Friday night, um, have a few schooners or whatever, and then you could go to the footy. I reckon that it's going to be the best thing for Adelaide. I think it's going to be huge for Adelaide. I wish it... I, I think it would have been better if the Oval had been a little bit further to the east of the city and it had come up into Rundle Street instead of Hindley Street. But, uh, you, you, you know, you can't ha- you can't have everything. And this is very much, you know, half a billion dollars of asset that is going to uh, serve the city very well. Um, I, I think it's it's going to be huge. And Would you call it a world-class stadium? Absolutely. It's a, it's a brand spanking new 60,000-seat stadium. And I think you get to a certain size and you have no choice but to uh, say it's a, 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 a stadium, a world-class stadium. All right, moving right along, uh, there were some close games during the, the NAB Challenge as well. Um, those included some very narrow wins. Uh, Carlton over North Melbourne by seven points, but even closer... Uh, Geelong and Collingwood, the very first game, uh, there was a two-point margin there. Uh, Gold Coast got over Essendon by a point. Uh, yeah, it's um, and at the moment Melbourne just got over Richmond as well. Uh, yeah, Melbourne by, just got over uh, Richmond, and 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 that's perhaps a surprising win as well. But uh, the Bulldogs are currently uh, climbing over Sydney. If you're the over Kilda. St Kilda, rather. Uh, yeah, it's a, like a 25-point margin there at the moment. Over. That game, incidentally, has been shortened to 17-and-a-half-minute quarters uh, because of the delayed start. Right. Was, so, uh... Real bad weather. And just just on that, did you, did you see the photos, the video of the um, Cadinia Park yeah. before they started playing? Yeah, I did. <laughs> that was, um... 
Yeah, well, it was, I think it was water based. It, it was literally underwater. Yeah, there was a lot of water on that pitch. Um, it was it was underwater, and look to to their credit, they they had done a lot of work on that ground over the last few years. If it had been the old Kidney Park oh. days, there's no way the game would have been going ahead. Um, but they managed apparently. I, I saw a couple of photos and pictures of, of pre-game, and they managed to get all of the water, most of the water, off and get it down to a normal level of what you'd expect to see. So, I think the ground though, though just... is still quite wet. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, but, but it's, just... it's amazing though because you can't you can't really see it when um, there's no you know when it's been raining quite heavily, um, players will dive in and you'll get a huge spray of water coming up. There's no water, there's no loose water on the pitch, which is just amazing. It has drained very well. Um. I think as well, one of, one of the things that came up this week uh, in particular was Alistair Clarkson's comments uh, regarding accreditation, coaching accreditation, basically saying that, you know, you want to coach underage, you've got to be accredited. Um, you should have to have some sort of accreditation uh, in order to avoid some of the pitfalls that may have uh, been part of the Essendon saga. Um, and he specifically cited Essendon in his original comments. Essendon came back at him and uh, said that the comments weren't helpful, they weren't constructive, they weren't needed. And Clarkson more or less came out and said, look, this has uh, got nothing to do with Essendon, it's got to do with coaching as a whole. And I think, but the most curious part for me was Michael Voss coming out yesterday and saying that he fully agreed with Clarkson's comments that there was no way he would have taken a senior coaching role if he'd been able to do a proper apprenticeship ahead of time, uh, like get the uh, like get the proper accreditation process through, and I, I thought that was interesting. What did you think of the whole uh, scenario? I thought it was Clarkson's completely and utterly correct. I mean, I'm not sure in other sports, but. I'm assuming that you need some sort of accreditation to coach at a professional level. I like, I know all the A-League managers have to go through, I think, two to three years, two to four years of training before it. And it's just, for the biggest sports in Australia not to have any form of thing, it's just beggar's belief, really. Hmm. I yeah, actually I thought, mean, I actually sorry, thought they um, needed accreditation, but no, you can just be parachuted in from anywhere, apparently. We're legally qualified to be AFL coaches. It's just, I could have applied for the St Kilda job. I mean, I would have done terrible, but still. I don't know. <laughs> Look, I think it's. I think it's important. I think what Clarkson is is done is, or what he's getting at is important to set a benchmark on expectations um, at coaches coming up, especially through the junior levels. And young kids are the most impressionable, and we want to make sure that we have the right people there instilling the values of, of what it is to play fair, um, to play fair football and to be able to promote that in younger leagues, younger teams with the young kids coming through. So, and certainly give, uh, give coaches the opportunity to actually learn the game from a, from an actual hands-on uh, coming through. And again, doing away with that uh, scenario of, of just one hit wonder coaches coming in without the experience, without the actual knowledge of knowing how to do it and being there based on their name um, or what they did as a player 20, 30 years ago rather than the merit of what their ability, what they have the ability to do now in terms of coaching. So um, I, I guess we look at it as a standardisation of that particular role in, in, in the game. Um, and it's, I guess, you know, it's, it's probably the first to come out and, and, and say that on his thoughts and we'll have, to, we'll have to see where it goes with the AFL, whether or not that's something they want to instill at the junior leagues through each of the... Uh, regional uh, district football leagues and, and see what happens from there. 
I wonder as well if uh, like one of the big things you hear about these coaches that come in and they come in for a year or two and they're not successful and they they get kicked out or they leave or they retire or it, one of the big problems they have is communication. You always hear that they lose the players or they lose the confidence. And I'm wondering if uh, like a course in communication as part of that accreditation would benefit uh, certainly Brett Ratton or someone like that who apparently lacked in some of those areas. Oh, look, that's stuff you really. Well, I think it's stuff you're really naturally with anyway. Like to be a, a good communicator, you just have to be one. You can't really practice that as much as you can. You can come slightly better, but it still won't be there. But like, you... you have to really select a coach for the job. Then some of these coaches may not be senior coaches. They should really stick towards maybe tactical side, or maybe towards a forward line coach. It's just. We need kind of a uniform way. It's just... I'm not going to say this, but it's, I think the way we select our coaches and accreditation and all that, it's kind of a bit unprofessional and a bit semi-professional, really. Yeah. Well, it's just the, the notion that you have to have played the game at the highest level to coach it seems a bit archaic to me because I think just because you've got a great footy mind on the field doesn't mean, as we're saying, it doesn't mean you can communicate it well to the players. It doesn't mean you can actually set up structures very well. Um, and so I think guys like Brendan McCartney, who I don't believe played the game at the top level, I think, and Neil Craig, for instance, I think will start creeping into the game more and more as, as clubs realise that, hang on, there are some yeah. blokes out there who might actually be able to coach better than they could play. But this has been yeah. forecast since, what, Rick Charlesworth, the hockey coach, went to Fremantle. Um, no, but that's what I'm saying though. He he was involved in the coaching. Neil Craig at least played the game. So did uh, McCartney. Yeah, yeah. McCart- McCartney yeah. Um, coached. You know, we've had we've had netball coaches go to Adelaide. Uh, Pat Micken was a skills coach there. Oddly yeah. enough, <laughs> well, I found a story about this. That's well, I'm I'm a fan of soccer as well. Some of you may not know, but an old coach called Arrigo Sacchi pretty much was a shoe salesman, and then he went to manage AC Milan. And one of the biggest clubs in the world, just like that, because they back coaches who have knowledge, and same with Jose Mourinho. It's just, you can do it. Anyone can become a coach. You just have a good compact knowledge, good communication, and that. It's just, again, it's coaching. It's not exactly rocket science or physics. No, it's not, but you've either got it or you yeah. haven't. I, I was yeah. fortunate yeah. enough to have Ken Hinckley as a, as his, I was a player when he first coached a side, and I, I was lucky to play under you know four pretty um, astute coaches. Jared Fitzgerald, who coaches North Ballarat, was my PE teacher and coached me from the time I was like 12 till 18. I, I was saying, and I've said on the board, that Kenny Hinckley was by far and away the best coach I ever played under, and it's no surprise to me that he made it at... AFL level, but you read in the paper that he's a rookie coach. Kenny Hinckley's been coaching for 16 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess you only need to go and look at some of the last previous years' examples of coaches and players who are great players, but not necessarily great coaches, and I think one yep. of those in question would be would be uh, Michael Voss. You know, yep. a, a general in the field, but whether or not did he have the right skills to be able to be a coach. Um, same with Scott Waters and St Kilda. I think you've got to look at a holistic approach when it comes to coaching and, and uh, it's it's not just about having the ability to make technical decisions on the day but it's about having the ability to be able to relate to the players and to deliver your message to them 
on a level that they can all understand. And I think that's a lot of the problems that, for example, Ratton had um, with his delivery. Um, he, he knew what he was trying to do, but he couldn't get it across to his players. So I think it's probably, as I said earlier, about setting some basic standards of the expectations on what a coach needs to be and the areas that he needs to work on to be able to be a, a coach as a whole. And, and it adds a bit yeah. of integrity to the whole thing. I mean, if you've, got, if you've got clubs like Brisbane who are hiring Michael Voss with very little or no coaching experience at all, and as Joe Bloggs who's been toiling his way through the Sandful or or the VFL or somewhere like that, who's getting overlooked in favour of a favourite son. Um, if you add in this qualification that they have to have been coaching for at least two years, sure, they might still pick a Michael Voss, but if they do, he'll have two years of coaching under his yeah, belt the, and will have at least in some way earned it. The, the problem we've got, though, is that you've got boards and and out, uh, interstate boards, and I'm looking at the Brisbane board, um, fair income. The guys on there, that they'd already made a decision that when Lee Matthews pulled the pin, Michael Voss was the next coach. So there was no um, robust and thorough process and all the um, crapola that they spin out. They'd already decided that whenever Lethal pulls the pin, uh, we can't afford Michael Voss to go anywhere else. So well, that's that's my point. Yeah, that, but you're dealing with two things. You're dealing with um, you know that what Voss wanted to coach, and that I recall at the time. Wookie, you might recall, um, Carlton went really hard at Voss to be senior coach as well. Yep. Um, so he had a number of people chasing him to be senior coach, and I still believe he will make it as a senior coach. And the, the stupid thing about Brisbane is that he just worked all that stuff out and was just starting to get what I thought ahead, and then the board pulled the pin on him. Mm. Well, what I don't understand is if he... Did have a contract with West Coast? No, that was to be... Like, assist- I remember... Yeah, that was to be yeah. assistant if he was serious about coaching, then why was he faffing around in um, the media? I know he was in the media for a year before he retired, but you know, if if I, I know it's you no, know, he wants the money and all that sort of thing. But if he's serious about coaching, and if he wants to have a sook now and say, well, Brisbane should have given me a bit more time, then maybe he should have actually gone out and learned a bit about coaching before saying, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I don't think he's. I don't think that's what he's saying though. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he's coming out and saying I needed more time. I think he's coming out and saying I needed better training. Um, yeah, and it's it's not the same thing. Like you can spend, like Hinkley's doing so well because he had sixteen years of assistant coaching, and yeah, he absolutely. was he was overlooked for so many jobs. And that's my point. Yeah, but that, that, that he's getting overlooked because there's all these favourite sons who who might get a look in first. And that's true. But you're talking about guys like Buckley who are never going to be overlooked for the job at Collingwood. Yeah, never. Yeah. And, and and Voss was in a, a similar position at Brisbane. Even though he was, ch- I think Essendon were after him as well. Um, yep. I mean, Voss was thought to be the guy, and really he made. He started off with a bad call. He dr- he took Favola. He shouldn't have done that, um, and that didn't pan out well for him. And it pretty much just steamrolled for him from there because he built all his plans around this whole forward setup he was going to have that he never ended up with. And then people got injured, and it, it was just a bad year for him. Now. I, I, he he's saying he spends a year in the media, and I think you're entitled to do that after you've had a long and distinguished playing career. I mean, the guy was a the guy's a dead set legend of the playing like as a player, um, and, and one of the better players of that particular period that he was in. I mean, he he took a Brownlow out. I think he was better than Buckley as a team player. 
I think he was. I think he was better than Hurd as a guts player. It was guts just. Play. I think. I think he was a better all-round player than both of the both of the other two. But he's also and he also took more flags out in the same period. But that's beside the point. He. Um. I think he was entitled to the year off. I think he just wanted better training. Yeah. Personally, I saw when Ross was doing his punditry work for it. It's just, for lack of a better word, he sounded a bit like not switched on for the game. It's just, I think, my thing is, is he had problems expressing his idea of football, his philosophies. He just, and he made some really bad recruiting blunders that Brisbane have gotten out of. But again, it's probably. You just need training for it. You just can't go in and the big bang senior coach. You need to have, I'd probably say at least three years of apprenticeship at minimum, three to four. Yeah, and in all honesty, I think he went in and thought he looked at Sydney and thought, "Geez, you know, Paul Rees has got the right idea. You just pick up a few, a few castoffs from other clubs and turn them around, and you've suddenly got a premiership winning side." And that's what he tried to do, and it and it unfortunately backfired. But yeah, um, there's, there's a lot of background to that. I mean. With the Gold Coast coming in, the club took a, a what you'd call an ill-fated strategic decision that they had to um, try and pinch a flag before the Gold Coast came in because they were worried about um, support in southeast Queensland splintering between Brisbane and and the Suns. And unfortunately, you know, it went pear-shaped. But it wasn't. Everyone likes to refer to it as the crazy bossy, you know, getting fev and and all those car stuffs. I can guarantee you, he wasn't the, the mastermind behind it. There was a lot of club push. I was going to say, I don't, I don't think Voss was completely behind his like getting into the coaching role at all at the time. Yeah. I think he was pulled into it um, by demand, really. You know, and he, I don't think he felt that he had any other options. But, uh, uh, and that's a sign of inexperience, but... You know, and I think he went to Brisbane on on the understanding that he was going to have you know more assistance than he ended up getting, because that's what happens when you're a, a first year coach. You know, you don't go somewhere and then expect to run the whole show. You have recruiters and you have uh, you know coach, you know, football managers and people like that who you know are supposed to assist you. And so I think, unfortunately, the coach being the public face of the club, he gets he gets blamed for a lot of stuff that's not necessarily. Uh, uh, his fault, but still. Anyway, um, the next item on the list, the AFLPA has come out with uh, its own plan for the salary cap, and basically Finnis uh, <laughs> presented a plan that was, how about instead of having a salary cap for the players and a cap on football department expenditure, why don't we just have one cap for both? And he's basically come out and said, look, I expect... You know that it's going to result in player pay rises, which of course is what he's after, um, at the expense of people spending money on facilities. What do we think about this? Was it facilities, bookie, or or um, off-field? Um... It's coaching and yeah. And on, on, see, here's the thing: we've been debating this in the industry forum for a while now. What does football department expenditure in, include, like? You've got your trips overseas to Arizona uh, and Qatar and South Africa and wherever else people are going. Is that part of your football club's uh, department expenditure? I yes. would I would say it is. All those all those uh, off-season activities, all those conditioning coaches, all yet, the 
high altitude training, all of the. Uh, what, what if I build an altitude room in my gym? Is that exactly? Is it that is. part of it? Now, what happens if a sponsor gives me that? I don't actually spend any money on it, but my sponsor gives it to me. What if I own, what if I have a commercial gym like Hawthorne uh, lease to um, a fitness group out at Waverley, or Essendon have the Windy Hill Fitness Centre out at, at, at well, obviously at Windy Hill? Um, is you know what if they start putting machinery in there for the purposes of that business? It just so happens that the club uses it. Where's the where's the line here? Yeah, you've hit on the but the issue is the leasing, Wookie. I mean, I don't know how it's going to be policed. You'd need a team of orders running 24-7 to try and keep up with it all. I just... I, I, I think, in the end, we risk... Going, and I've said this on the industry forum a number of times, but I think, in the end, we risk going to be like NRL clubs, but for a different reason, where the NRL clubs split off their pokies for, um, uh, for tax purposes. I think we're going to do it so that it's not counted towards any kind of spending cap there's only so much you can spend money on in football as it is and yet you've got Collingwood and you've got West Coast West Coast have 40 million dollars in the bank Mm. that's cash cash on hand according to their last annual report they're going to spend a a lot if not all of that on their training facility on their new training facility now is that part of their football department expenditure I don't think the infrastructure is but I think the and that's where Collingwood and West Coast and all the big clubs are always going to have it over over the little clubs because they can spend that money on infrastructure. I think what they're trying to bring under an equalisation is the spend on actual um, human resources, you know, like bums on seats, whether you've got 85 different assistant coaches and that type of stuff. But I don't yep. see how that makes any difference. Like, if you can have all the staff in the world, but if you don't have the equipment, then it's, it doesn't really help you process anyway. It's in theory a good idea, but in reality, it's like communism. It's just doomed to fail 100%. Well, there's, there's a reason why the yeah. AFL is handing out money hand over fist at the moment as part of the DeSequel funding to improve facilities. Now, why wouldn't facilities be part of the department spend? It is predominantly for the department. Unless it's purely for staffing purposes, I don't see any way to police it. Mm. I, I yeah, don't see any. All that stuff becomes very difficult because to then you've got like down at Carlton, for instance, and we have a very bad reputation for brown bagging things, um, and some of it's deserved. Um, you know, you can't argue with that after the fines for two thousand one, two thousand and two. But what's going to stop you know Jenny Pratt? coming in and going, okay, we're going to pay for the entire trip to Qatar next year. By the way, here's a new gym. (laughs) Rich benefactors, pretty much what's happening in the Premier League, you could say, or... But that's, you know, they can't own the club, but they can basically have a very big say in what the club does just by, you know... I mean, Richard Pratt basically gave us the money at Carlton to build the new gym facilities down there. What's to stop that happening at other clubs? It's, no, it, it's and, and, but see, that's what the difference is. That's that's where the difference is. At, you know, North Melbourne, where they were in tin sheds for years, but exactly. with that, with AFL funding, they ended up with the whole new Aegis Park thing, um, and that's great. And I fully support how that's operated. But if you're going to put a cap on department spending, 
what's to stop them from spending all the money on, you know, high altitude rooms or, you know? Well, I think that's what Gary Pert's point is. If you you either want full-on communism where you've got 18 franchises that all look the same, they all get the same amount of money, yeah. and you go from there, or, you know, you, you there's got to be some reward for the clubs that do the right thing. Hmm. But then again, the rewards of that thing that Pert says is just Colin would get a leg up from the AFL and they pretty much have been in fixtures and all that since since Andrew Dimitri and all that came in, where it's like, we're going to focus on purely profit where it's sports business, not a sporting organisation. That's, I mean, really, you could pretty much base where this really started. I mean, in the 1990s and early 2000s, were people having these equalisation debates? They probably weren't because... The fixture was flawed, but it was still ultimately fair. There wasn't a... Sh Every team had a good slice of the pie. Now it's massive slice, small mm. slice, massive slice, small slice. Oh, you're playing at the MCG. Here you go. Have some money. You have to play at Eddie Had Stadium because we did some dodgy contracts. You're going to cop just a pounding in the bank accounts. I, I think there's an article in Inside Footy magazine or something like that, which pretty much is saying that St Kilda, Western Bulldogs and North Melbourne have they're pretty much paying off Eddie Hat Stadium and it's just we can't really compete when we're just we're in a financial black hole. It's there's, it, there's I, look, I, I, I know where they're coming from with that and I, I spend far more time looking at the off field stuff than I do at the on field stuff when it comes to football. Um equalisation's been part of the discussion since the late seventies. Yep. It's just not been as predominant as it has now. But, I mean, you're talking about clubs like Fitzroy that were broke from 1978 pretty much through 1996. In, in mid-1986, half the league was broke. Um, and which pre go, go back, though. Well, his eight clubs lost had million-dollar-plus losses last year. Yeah. But if, if, and auditors are, are a bit concerned because the, the, the AFL is basically underwriting at least eight or nine because if you went to put their annual reports together um you wouldn't they wouldn't they'd get qualified yeah look there's and this has been the case for about a decade though brisbane it, went having four mil in the bank and some investments to uh you know we're negative about four. yeah brisbane's a little bit bizarre in that regard but all I know is that well, we make more out of going to New Zealand in that one game than we do out of like the rest of our home games. You got to just... remember, you got to remember that. And we've had, uh, and again, this is something else we've discussed pretty much uh, a lot in the in the industry forum. And it's it's some, it's a pet bugbear of the WA guys, if you like. But um, it is uh, you don't you don't pay Eddie Hat for your reserve seating at all. Reserve seating is money in the bank for the club. What we're talking about is extra money. There's an article in the Australian a couple of weeks ago that talked about this at length. Is yeah. um, the Bulldogs make about four dollars a head? It's the difference between making a two million dollar like a two million dollar profit at Eddie Had, uh, sorry, a two million dollar profit at the MCG, or a two million dollar or, or a, you know nothing at Eddie Had. It, you, you're not actually making a loss. You're just not making enough money. Mm. Um, and this is where... And what people are getting confused with is 
It's the amount of money you could be making. And this is what uh, St Kilda said after 2010 where they made a $1.2 million profit. They turned around the year after and made a $200,000 loss. It's... You could make more money playing at the MCG. What Eddie had a saying now, though, is that um, if you've got a crowd, if you draw consistent crowds of less than fifty thousand at the MCG, you're going to make almost the same amount of money from the crowd, from the from from your match return as you would at Eddie had anyway. There's not a lot of difference because at Eddie had, uh, you make more money from signage and porridge rights than you do at the MCG, where all of that goes to the MCG. Whereas at the MCG, you get a better return from your uh, your general admission. Yeah. So it works, but you'll always get more money if you go to a clean stadium arrangement like you've got in uh, in Wellington, or uh, or a payment arrangement like North have in uh, Bell Reeve, or um, or Hawthorne's deal at Aurora Stadium, which is outstanding for them. They made three point six million from it last year. So. Equalisation. The clubs really should have kept their stadiums. It's just. It probably would have cost more, but the clubs, every single club, probably should have kept at least their stadiums. It's just would have been more feasible. But who would have paid? No, who would have paid for the upkeep in the end, though? No, like, not, the clubs can barely pay for the upkeep of their facilities now. True. Um, I mean, Carl... I think some of the bigger clubs at least should have been able to 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 manage their own stadiums, though. So, for instance, your Collingwoods and your Carlton's. Uh, Collingwood were the first ones to move, and, and they were smart. They realised if they went to the MCG um, and locked in there, they were they were set up for life. And, well, and then now they've got their social club based at the MCG. You could argue um, that Richmond were really the first ones to move. Uh, they went to the MCG in the 60s. That's true. Um, and they've been there ever since. Um, and Punt Road literally got upgraded for the first time in ages. I mean, like last year or the year before. Um, Essendon went to the MCG very early in the 90s. Um, they they dropped playing at Windy Hill to go to the MCG very early. Collingwood were late on the scene. Uh, they were still playing games at Victoria Park in the early 2000s, I believe. Um, and Carlton w- didn't leave uh, Princess Park until they had no choice, and they were still playing games there in 2005 although it was just the one game for the year, and I think it was against Melbourne. So, um, it's... I, I, I don't think there was any way in the end that the... Like, now that they're relying on government funding and, and grants and things like that to maintain their own facilities, I don't think there's any way that we'd be maintaining eight to nine stadiums in the metro area. It, it just wouldn't be happening. And probably the argument comes up, we probably really did need just a... 30k stadium somewhere. We oh, we definitely. Well, I, th- I think we definitely do yeah. need a 30k stadium in the meantime. But after 2025, I think that that yeah. changes a lot. I mean, people need to understand the revenue streams that the AFL, like the clubs don't control at Etihad at the moment include things like the Medallion Club. They include car parking, um, catering, you know, naming rights. All of and these... the other sports that also play there. Yeah, plus, you know, rental income from, you know, soccer and, and uh, rugby tests and things like mm. that that are played there. So there's a lot, you know, concerts, all these things, they're all going to turn... Like, at the moment, Eddie had made uh, reports losses of $17 million and things like that, but uh, I think it was $17 million last year. 
but with all of its revenue put together and the AFL controlling its fixtures and everything like that, I think we're going to see more games move from the MCG to Eddie had than the other way around after so, 2025. So the argument is, why don't they bring forward that purchase date and, and make an offer to buy it out now while they're full of cash from the um, TV rights deal? Even if they paid, well, they've got, what, 11, 12 years left? Uh, 11 years left of the deal. It would cost them $250 million now to buy the stadium as is, whereas in 2025 they get the stadium for a dollar. Yes. Um, and when they get the stadium in 2025, it apparently has to be state-of-the-art, fully maintained, and ready to go. Like it's not, it's not allowed to be run down. It's not allowed to need updating. All of these things have to. It when the AFL get the stadium in 2025, it's going to be debt-free and ready to rumble. Like for another 25 years, apparently. So They're really not updated the TV screens. There, I mean, the tiny screens are still those dodgy pretty much black Panasonic from the 1990s. But all of that has to change by yeah. 2025. But still, isn't there, there's a figure, surely, that is somewhere in between, you know, 250 million if you walk in and bought it now, and $1 in 14 years. Surely there's a figure that, that both parties would consider as a, a fair and reasonable change. The, there's, there's still debt on the stadium, and the super clubs, are, uh, the superannuation group that owns it still need to pay that off yeah. and so any buyout figure has to include the debt yeah. and I'm, I believe the debt's a lot I'm not sure how much yeah. but uh, so you've got to pay for that um, and then you've got to factor in uh, how much that the clubs have to be uh, how much the clubs have to make to justify bringing it forward over the next 11 years so it might be it might just work out cheaper for the league to just pay the clubs for the next 11 years than it is to pay out the, you know the 250 million dollars plus the maintenance plus everything else uh, that would be required at the stadium for the next 11 years I don't know I don't know what the theory is behind that and I'm sure there is a figure but apparently the league balked the 250 mil this I got like just thinking about the AFL eventually when it takes out like well how will they do about other sports has there been like any word about that or is it still just too far away that no one really knows about it I can almost guarantee you that Victory's current deal that Eddie had might be in jeopardy um the AFL... apparently they can upgrade Amy Park so well yeah, yes yes yeah. and no Amy Park could be upgraded but it would be very prohibitive apparently because of the way they put the roof on um, uh, or I believe it's the roof. I believe the footings of the stadium itself are okay. Well, you can upgrade it from, you know, the sta- but you'd have to take the roof, uh, the roofing off. And I believe it would be very complicated and almost impossible, which is why it wasn't, uh, which is why nobody was really happy with how uh, the capacity ended up being at the stadium. But I think the Victorian government's reasoning was, look, we've got a 50,000-seat stadium in the city. We've got a 100,000-seat stadium in the city. We don't need another one. <laughs> you know, we don't need another big stadium. We need an average-sized stadium that will cater for you know, your rugby league crowds, your soccer crowds and everything like that. And every now and then soccer sells out, sure, but everything else can go to the MCG. I want to move on to uh, the last part of uh, the show tonight. And that is, how do you think your teams are going in the pre-season to date, guys? Um, I know... Uh, Let me check the score. <laughs> <laughs> Two points difference now, so... It's actually a pretty interesting game now. I know. It certainly is. I know. Certainly uh, is. 
I know SM went to the Sydney trial, uh, the internal trial. How did that I go? Did. Up? How, how are you seeing the Swans so far? Well, from an off-field point of view, it was spectacular to see over a thousand people um, coming out to, to watch the boys when I went only a couple of years ago to a crowd of maybe 100 or 200. And today our membership figures were announced at already having hit 30,000. So I think the Buddy factor is in full full swing now. Um, but on field, Buddy, Buddy was a little bit disappointing. Um, I don't even think he kicked a goal for the day. He um, sprayed a couple of shots as Buddy likes to do, but I'm sure the crowd got their fill watching him run around and take a decent grab on our um, first year recruit, Alir Alir who um, actually impressed when he wasn't on Buddy. He actually was looking pretty impressive and took a couple of grab grabs, and he's in line to play tomorrow night, which will be interesting to see. Um, but, yeah, the squad, the squad on the whole was looking pretty impressive. Um, Brandon Jack, the younger brother of co-captain Kieran, um, I think has really stepped up this preseason. He was looking pretty impressive around the ground. And um, one to watch is um, Toby Nankovis, who's um, looking more and more likely to be our backup ruck. Um, with Tippett struggling to be fit for round one, and he kicked three goals for the day. So good signs all around the ground for the squad. And what about uh, Adam Goods and Kurt Tippett, uh, both apparently having knee injuries? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's increasing concern from Swans fans that um, Tippett might actually have a pretty serious knee injury in the same vein as your Rafa Nadal and, and that sort of thing with um, knee tendonitis, which could actually end up being quite a long-term injury. I think he was down down your way, Wookie, um, at um, the Carlton training ground, looking at getting some specialist advice on his knee. So it's um, not sounding too good. Okay, and Mike, how's uh, your off-season going, mate? Well, I think just slowly coming along and getting players fit and ready. Um, Tom Williams has had a uh, uninterrupted pre-season, so we hope to see him getting out. Um, Bob Murphy is recurring or uh, re- recovering from a uh, from an injury as well, so he's still a few weeks away. Um, I see uh, just from the game tonight, it's, it's fairly interesting in terms of scoring. Um, the first eight scores were Footscray, or Western Bulldogs scores, then the following eight scores were uh, St Kilda scores. But um, young Lockie Hunter... Um, Jake Stringer seemed to be uh, doing well, and um, even Stuart Cremery seems to be finding his feet there. So, um, as I said earlier, I really don't take too much from these games in terms of score. I think it's more it's more around working out the rotations of the groups and uh, and and where that fits into the cap. But it's good to get an idea and see um, pick up where these young guys have, or sorry, see where these young guys have picked up from their last. Uh, couple of AFL games and certainly along the lines of Lockie Hunter who had a great number of games towards the end of the last season he looks like he's picked up where he left off so at this particular point in time um, saying that St Kilda's four points in front now but I'm not too concerned about that um, <laughs> it looks to be reasonable and uh, and hopefully we'll see how we go over the next uh, week or so with the last remaining um, nav game. Oh, where, where do you see Kramer playing sorry? He'll be in the, he'll well I think he'll be uh Changing between a forward and a midfield role—that's what he's been penciled in for. So he'll spend time on the ball. He definitely does look more um, quite dangerous up forward, but at the same time, obviously you'd want another mature body in the middle, I guess, to um, help the younger guys. Definitely, definitely, someone who can use their body to uh, to help the lock, to help the lines of um, you know young young Tom Toro, who's who's uh, who was I think number three for. Uh, 
or was rated very high Legends. at the end of last season. And yes, exactly, exactly. He was getting the ball, so he's going to come under a lot of pre under a lot of uh, scrutiny this this year, or under a yeah, lot absolutely. of eyes. Uh, so you want someone who can who can run with him and uh, basically protect him and allow him to get that ball out of the centre. Right, and uh, Bob Murphy's still got an elbow injury. He's yeah. What, what's his he, story? Yeah, he he's still he's still injured. Um, I think sort of recent before it looks looks pretty fierce. Yeah, yeah, no, he's still he's still got a good couple of weeks with that uh, before he gets back into match fitness with that arm. So, but I don't think they're going to rush him at this particular point in time. And the intention is to have him ready for the round one clash with uh, the West Coast Eagles over at uh, over uh, in Perth, Patterson. Um, yeah. Patterson, that's right, Patterson Stadium. So um, we'll see how that goes. And Jared Grant. He's he's a he's a funny one, Jared Grant. Um, he's got all the uh, he's got all the abilities, and I think he just needs to apply himself. But as we saw, he was starting to find his feet. And I think he's just he's a player that he's a confidence player, uh, Jared Grant. He uh, when he's got the confidence in his game, he's, he just does amazing things. And for a number of games last year, or a large portion of last year, he was um, he was actually carrying injuries um, and had a few health issues which was a very negative impact on him, but I think he's he's done the right thing. He's kept his chin high, and uh, Brendan's seen seen him or seen the value in, in, in how that's transformed him towards the end of last year and given him a bit of a uh, a bit of a kick up the backside, if you would call it that, and a, and a bit of a lift for coming into this year. So I'm not sure if he's playing tonight, but um, he'll, he'll certainly uh, feature in the games for the first couple of games anyway. Okay, moving along. Uh, Cookson, St Kilda. Yep. Oh, how, how's, how started, you out, started out pretty well with the draft where we got, well, we all got who we wanted with Billings, Dunstan and Akers. Then we went to Colorado in the snow, which was, started out pretty well. Then the weather turned for us, which was, I'll probably say a good experience for the team. Then it's just pretty much been consistent all the way through. I think Maverick Waller has been a massive standout for us, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's elevated this year. Like, he's going to play for St Kilda. He'll probably hopefully play 100 games for us plus. And we've got young Eli Templeton, who's looking pretty good in the glimpses I've seen of the NAB Cup games so far. And, again, the same with Mike said, you, I can't really take much from our first NAB game as it's pretty much been played in the worst conditions you could ever play and we'll be a dry weather football team that's just my prediction so far playing at Eddie Had and being young it's just I think it's for us it's going to be a bad season it's just going to be focusing on structures getting games into young players and focusing on building up the players and a game plan to chance to flag by 2018 which has been shown by emails by the club which I've gotten an invite to. Yay for me, VIP. But yeah, pretty much it's season launch and talking about the four key pillars and all that, so... Where, yeah. where do you actually see St Kilda finishing up this day? Are you pretty much acknowledging it'll be a... You're saying it's going to be a pretty rough year, so you think you're kind of expecting, what, bottom four? Bottom you're hoping four. for a little bit better. Well, I'm thinking bottom four, realistically my delusional hopeful side is thinking yeah we could probably hopefully win eight games finish around 10th or 10th to 12th but I'll put it I'll yeah. be surprised it's just if we could win six games I guess I'd be satisfied with that that's 
a quarter of the games. It's a mess season, but still six games. It's building it's, blocks it's, and just. It's just pretty amazing because um, because the game was delayed by half an hour. They showed the final quarter of the 09 prelim before the game, uh, and it's just pretty amazing to see where these two sides have kind of come from in such short a uh, short space of time to where they are now. Um, and I guess yeah. that's just that's just the thing. It's just the squad has regenerated so much since then. Yeah, it's been. Uh, look, uh, I think I think I'll just interject here and say I think with with the Western Bulldogs and St Kilda um, clubs like ours have have short windows when they open. Um, traditionally, uh, recruiting hasn't always been great. Um, we've tried a number of things which haven't worked. Uh, re- recruited for short-term success that hasn't come off, and I think our clubs are going to generally go through these peaks and troughs where we we have a well what you would call a successful period of being a challenger to being a period in rebuilding um, and then you look at the flip side teams like such as Sydney who have been able to get value out of recycled players and use them quite effectively so um, and this again goes back to the whole discussion before on, on uh, football department spending I, I, I think you put in what you get or you get out what you put in so it's a whole balance of equality there um, and resources that clubs have available to them to keep the lists up and keep those those players cycling through and, and, and keep the good players in, um, and, and make sure you have that uh, turnover um, with the minimal impact as possible on the playing field. So. Alrighty, moving along. Western Roy boys. Well, the Brisbane is really, really hard to assess. So rather than listening to the the group think Melbourne media. Um, I, I heard uh, Rowan Connell the other day say that he found Brisbane the hardest team to assess just because of all of the, the goings on, on and off the field. And, and I think that's pretty right. I'm not overly um, optimistic of, of how we're going to go this year. I, I don't take any notice of the 131 point belting against Hawthorne because fundamentally we just played kids against, you know, probably what was. Hawthorne at 75%, so I expected to get belted. Get a better guide of how we're going to go this week when we're playing, I think, the best side we can put out on the park at the moment against the Gold Coast, and they only played a game, was it Monday night? So not sure what side they'll put out. If they were to beat us this week uh, and and sort of tell us, then I'd think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty concerned that we're going to be bottom three. Um, and possibly with the Saints, Demons and or Dogs um, at this stage. We've had, you know, obviously heaps of stuff. We lost the, the, the go-home five um, who you know, may or may not turn out to be um, champions. But I think we nailed the draft um, as best we could. But we, we've just had um, that sort of young talent depth completely gutted out of the club that probably meant that we couldn't get rid of as many other bikes as we should have. So we've, we've held on to a few that, you know, personally um, aren't going to take us anywhere. And obviously the great warrior Brownies decided to go on for another year, which was contrary to some mail I had at the end. Um, and that's, you know, probably from lepers talked him into it. We've got a new captain in Jed Adcock who doesn't really overly uh, excite me. Uh, <laughs> So I'm not uh, I'm not over enthusiastic about where we're going to finish. It, where we do finish will be dependent, I suppose, on our midfield and and the three R's: um, Rich, Rockliffe, and Redden. 
um, and whether they can get to A grade standard or if they're just if they stay where they are, then uh, we're in trouble. Will Zorko still be good, or do you expect Zorko to be doing well? Zorko has a gun, mate. Yeah, he's a gun, but he's he's 25, um, so he's no kid, um, and you know he will run through the midfield a bit more. We've already seen that in the first game, but um, you know he he's he's only. Uh, a pocket rocket, so there's, there's a limit to what he can do. Well, that's still one super coach position field. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking Actually, sorry, Cookie, I, I wanted to ask you, Cookie, about uh, Miss Young uh, Jack Billings. Do you think he'll get much game time at St Kilda this year? Uh, I think it was in, I think it was injured pre season. He had a bit of a knee problem then. I personally think they'll see Markworth and Sipos being ahead of him in a half-forward flank overall, but I think he'll play seven, eight games. It's a rough estimate. Right. I reckon Dunstan, I believe, will probably play the most. I reckon he'll probably play 15. Right. Good to know. <laughs> okay. Um, before we sign off tonight, I need to get some predictions from you guys. Mike did this last week already. And uh, then we can laugh at everyone at the end of the season. Uh, Cookson, who's going to make the grand final, mate? Ooh, I'm going for... I can't look past Hawthorne, and I'm going for Hawthorne and probably Sydney. Sydney? And uh, who's going to win? Oh, I'll probably go Hawthorne by... I'll go for Hawthorne by five points. And the Brownlow? I called Paddy Danchfield at the start, and I'm probably going to stick to that, but Gary Ablett will probably win, but still, I'm going back danger. And... <laughs> Coleman? Coleman. Who did it? Going to go for probably Jared Ruffer to go back to back, getting 86 goals. Nice. And uh, who's going to win the wooden spoon? Probably did have a message and killed her. Yeah, I tell you, last week all five of us picked St Kilda for the wooden spoon. Unfortunately, when's the Assad investigation going to finish? Uh, I'm going to call July twentieth, and it's going to result in a load of people getting the sack from Assad from Essendon and the AFL. That's uh, very nice. And SM, who's going to make the grand final, mate? Um, look, I reckon it'll be Freo and us. What the podcast guys? We're not going uh, to do well in the grand final. <laughs> Who's going to win? We'd give it a go. Who's going to win, Matt? Uh, look, I reckon it'll be Frio, but it'll be a very tight game, um, under ten points. Yeah. And who's going to win the Brownlow? Brownlow. Um, I reckon going sticking with the Frio theme. I'm going to say it's going to be uh, Fife. Fife, eh? And uh, the Coleman. Coleman, um, look, I mean, I'm going to have to bid on the red and white specs here and say Buddy Franklin. He's, he's barely even put the specs on. <laughs> Wooden spoon? Um, look, uh, I'm going to have to back up last week's panel and go with St Kilda, unfortunately. Sorry, Cookson. It's fine. I expected it. <laughs> <laughs> When's the asylum investigation going to end, Mark? Yeah, look, I'm going to say it's around the same time. It's probably mid-July. Um, and I do reckon there'll be quite a few players at Essendon who'll be um, sitting a bit nervously. Okay, and Western Roy Boys, grand final. Yeah, Hawthorne and West Coast. Ooh. And Hawthorne wins. Cheers. 
West Coast. No but... luck with the Swans. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Brownlow. Uh, Mundy. Mun. Coleman. That's a dark horse. Yeah. Very dark. Not as dark as mine. I picked Pavlich, but anyway. Uh, Coleman. <laughs> We're liking the purple haze on here. <laughs> yeah, I think Buddy will win it. Yeah. He'll be kicking goals out of the centre up there. He will be too, out of the tiny SCG. Uh, the wooden spoon. Yeah, I'll go with the uh, group thinking something. <laughs> it's unanimous so far, if you're wondering. Uh, it's the Kilda don't finish bottom, though. We're going to look stupid, aren't we? Yeah. I don't think we're going to be far away from you. Uh, <laughs> uh, when's the Asada investigation end, Mark? I reckon it'll wrap up uh, in about April, and, and I think it'll just be a lame duck. Ooh. All right. All right. So, uh, so far, uh, the panel has picked uh, Hawthorne to win the grand final with uh, three votes, apparently. Oh, and Frio with three as well, so. And Mike picked Carlton to win the grand final, so. Oh, he's just sucking up. That, yeah. that was just a piss take. Come on, we know that. The side of better investigate you. He also picked Collingwood to play Carlton in the grand final, so... Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, What's I got, it on, I got it on tape, Mike. Don't you worry. Oh, no, you have. No, no, that that was just a satirical view at oh, uh, good old Mick Malthouse rubbing in Nathan's face. <laughs> uh, so far, Pendlebury's the favourite to win uh, the Brownlow. Uh, with two votes. Everyone else has picked someone different. Seedsman, Mitchell, Pavlich, Dangerfield, Fife, Monday. Who picked pick Seedsman? Uh, Fifey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't pick Jake King. <laughs> Ca- Cameron's uh, the favourite for the Coleman so far. Uh, three votes. Uh, prosecutor, myself, Mike. Uh, Wooden Spoon, unanimous for St Kilda at the moment, unfortunately. Hey, Wookie, can, do you reckon you can get one of those Star Wars uh, I Am Your Father Nathan t-shirts? <laughs> You're not the first one to ask. Yeah, now we did discuss this a little bit last week. Anyway, guys, on that note, I'm going to sign off with you all. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thank Cheers. you, Cookson. Sayonara. And uh, uh, Mike. Good night for this week. And SM. Ta-ta for now. And thank you very much to the Western Roy Boys for coming on. Yibbida, yibbida. Excellent. And uh, we'll see you all on the forums or the podcast next week.